By 2044, the U.S. Census Bureau anticipates that minority populations will become majority groups in America. What does this mean? What are the opportunities and challenges for democracy? And how do we define a new America? We're here with Alejandra Castillo, National Director, Minority Business Development Agency for the U.S. Department of Commerce, to shed some light on these. Welcome to the EdCast. Thank you so much, Matt. I'm very excited about our conversation today. So, Ms. Castillo, give us a little glimpse—a little glimpse into the strategy of your work, your office. For those who don't know what your office does, especially in catalyzing minority business development, and how education plays a critical role in the evolution of business—the sort of connections there. Absolutely. So, one of the things that people may not know is my agency actually was created in 1969. It's the response, in many ways, to Martin Luther King's uh, March on Washington which we all focus on the civil rights component, component of it, but we must also remember it was about jobs and opportunity. So when uh, President Nixon creates this office, and the focus of the office is to really uh, narrow down on how do we bring entrepreneurship into a growing minority population? And the question really is, how do we help entrepreneurs create the job and create wealth? So these two components are critical. Now fast forward 46 years later, this conversation is not only about civil rights or even altruism. It's about an economic imperative for the nation. As you well pointed out, in 2044, we see that uh, minorities will be the majority. And you know what? That number is actually being revised as we move forward by the Census Bureau because the population growth is enormous. So as a nation, how do we make sure that this very vibrant, growing, and young population, let's not forget the millennial component to it, is actually part of the economic engine. So part of that economic engine, and people are using the phrase the innovation economy and teaching entrepreneurship, and it's kind of a little bit of business, a little bit of innovation, a little bit of hard skills, soft skills. How do you guys go about sort of teeing that up for millennials, for people who are younger, older, so that they do feel empowered to be an entrepreneur and to actually make that a reality in their lives? Sure. So um, innovation is not a new word. Where It's just now becoming very sexy and everybody's talking about it. But innovation has been part, one would say, of the fabric of our nation. The Patent and Trademark Office, which is part of commerce, was created from the very inception of our nation because we understood, and many of our forefathers knew, how important innovation was. So in protecting that intellectual property. But let me answer your question more specifically. For us, we want to make sure that minority entrepreneurs are at the forefront of the innovation economy. That they're not just users and adapters, but they're actually the creators of innovation. Innovation can take a lot of different forms. It's not just an app. Innovation could be the change of a design, the change of a material, the change of, a, of different types of, of ways to make things. Um, so we want to make sure that in order to do that, we want to kind of short circuit a little bit. And one of the resources that we have is the fact that we're part of the federal government. The federal government spends $140 billion in research and development through our federal labs. It's a lot of money. But there's a lot of, there's just an enormity of, uh, of ideas and, and R&D that is in these labs and needs to be commercialized. So one of the ways to do it is to bring these entrepreneurs into the federal lab environment, license some of that lab, some of that R&D, and then help them get the capital. Because let us not forget, you need capital. It's great to have an idea, but unless you have the capital to, to be there to test it and to bring it to market. So these are the components. And I will say it's a triangulation. It's the entrepreneur, it's the federal lab, and it's the universities. 
So we're working with minority-serving institutions as well. Yeah, talk about the university component. A lot of our listeners on this show are educators, people who work in higher education. Um, and I think connecting that education, the higher education component, is critical. So people who are working in higher education, what can they do to kind of get part of this triangle? Or what is out there that's working really well that you want to sh shine a light on? So Matt, I'm actually going to take a step back because it's not just in the higher ed, it's education from the very beginning. And, and tomorrow I'll talk a little bit about, um, I cite Car Carl Sagan, who's one of my favorite, because we need to start helping our students to be critical thinkers. How do things work? Why do they work the way they do? And how can I improve them? Now, in that evolution, you also bring in the entrepreneurial uh, component to it. It's not just you know having the lemonade stand, but letting kids understand what's the value of bringing things to market? What are the tastes? How do you get consumers? How do you bring a, a price point? Now, if you move on the chain of education, Absolutely. At the higher ed level, there is a tremendous role to play. And Harvard, obviously, is a great model for that. The Harvard does a lot of commercialization of R&D. But more importantly, how do you do the interdisciplinary collaboration, the colliding of all these different disciplines in order to improve the lives of, of the consumers and hopefully find a place in that market to put your ideas Give, give me a little case study or paint a picture of something that uh, in, in practice has worked out really well, whether it's a business that was started or an idea uh, that got off the ground through this sort of triangulation. Uh, give us an example of how these programs, when they are working, when all the engines and the pistons are fully firing, that you actually get to see impact. Sure. So there are, there are companies that we have worked with who have already been collaborating with some of the national labs. And I'll give you perhaps Argonne National Lab right outside of Chicago. A lot of energy uh, um, ideas that are being flown, uh, developed through there. Um, these are the type of companies that will then come and take that R&D and be able to market. And you see in, in Chicago, for example, which is one of the cities that we, we hope to really penetrate uh, this concept more, where there are much more um, uh, energy e efficient technologies that minority companies are putting in, where the city is purchasing these technologies because they have a lot of public buildings that they need to lower there. So you're, we're working with them, not just on the R&D, not just on the commercialization, but also accessing contracts and accessing markets. And markets is not just domestic markets, it's also international markets. A little bit about your own personal journey. Uh, and about how education has served you so well to the point where you're now um, in a really high-ranking government position and helping people and sort of giving back. Uh, a little bit about why you chose this line of work and how your own education got you there. Sure. So for me, um, I had parents who came to this country as um, fleeing a dictatorship, the Dominican Republic, back in the early 60s, and they instilled in me how important education was. But they also instilled in me how important entrepreneurship was. My father was a small business owner in the Bronx in the 1970s, really hard place to be a business owner. Um, and I have to say, I, I went to undergraduate school, um, uh, economics was my major, and then I went to uh, graduate school for public policy. I'm a public servant, I really believe in the role of government. And then I went to law school. So for me, it's the triangulation of all these disciplines. You're the perfect candidate for your job. <laughs> <laughs> they hired right. Thank you, and I appreciate that. But it, it wasn't, um, I didn't set out to come to this job. 
but I was very personally passionate about it because I grew in New York City where there's so many minority-owned firms that are really in places where nobody else wants to go and they're delivering the services and they're changing the fabric of business in America. So we need to really pay attention to this. Yeah. Final question. You're going to be speaking as the keynote at the Alumni of Color Conference here at the Harvard Ed School. Um, when people are done listening to your talk after an hour and a half, what is the call to action you hope uh, that room full who are in the room or watching online do? What, what is your, your hopeful, aspirational call to action and why is it so urgent that they do it? So one thing that I'll say is we have to mind the gap. There's a gap in our society and people need to be aware of it and understand it. And this gap could be filled if we all play a part. So my call to action tomorrow and, and hopefully as I move forward is everyone is an architect in this new America. Everyone has to play that important role in that developing that blueprint and bringing it to life. That's, that's poetry. Well done. Alejandro Castillo, National Director of Minority Business Development at the agency there, U.S. Department of Commerce. Thanks so much for being on the Thank you so much, Matt. This has been the Harvard Adcast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.